G'day, everyone. Welcome to Talking Leadership. This is our second series under the Talking Leadership banner. Today, the topic that we're looking at and the start of this particular series is toxic leadership and ways to deal with toxic toxic leaders. The term destructive leadership has often been used here, and I'll be asking our guest today to give us a bit of a definitional difference if there is one there. But let's start things off properly. I'd like to welcome my co-host, Ben Deverson. Ben, how are you going? I'm great, Eric. How are you, mate? I'm good, my friend. Thank you for joining us. And our guest today is Gillian Manson. How are you, Gillian? I'm great. Thanks, Eric and Ben. Thanks for having me. Gillian, I appreciate your time on this. this the, the interest in this topic is fairly high. So before we get started, I, I just want to give a bit of a, a background to you for the listeners. So by way of introduction, Gillian holds extensive leadership experience in both the for-profit as well as values-based not-for-profit sectors and organizations. A common feature she's experienced across both those sectors is the preventable but negative impact of toxic leadership on the health, safety, and productivity of staff. She's established a consultancy as a way of bringing clear focus on the impact of toxic leadership with the objective of providing much-needed assistance to all impacted parties now, as well as encouraging leadership styles, approaches which change organizations for the better into the future. Her consultancy provides a framework to deal with all parts of toxic, the toxic leadership problem, from specialist coaching of abrasive leaders to try and change their behavior for the better, to support those suffering through the impact of toxic behavior, through to building feedback methods and leadership styles, which limits destructive leadership. Her aim is to help organizations transform in this very critical area. She brings to that process 10 years of experience in leadership roles in the not-for-profit and industry association arenas, which has allowed her to both run as well as support and advise organizations, medium and small businesses in that context. This is coupled with eight years of current and ongoing board experience, which capitalizes on more than 13 years of experience in corporate franchising environments that supported uh, medium to small businesses. This professional experience is combined with tertiary qualifications in business management, company, company director training, abrasive leadership coaching accreditation, dare to lead training and mediation training. So Gillian, thank you for joining us. That's that's a quite a, an extensive background there. So before we kick things off with the questions proper, give us a sense of why this topic area is important to you. It's a great question, Eric. Thanks for asking that. And I think it's because we spend so much of our time at work. We have ourselves invested into it. It's We'd like to succeed at it as well as form an income and look after our families. And there's this contrast between a good working environment where you get to bring yourself to your work and get to express that and show that, and destructive or toxic environments where the experience is totally different and, in fact, profoundly negative. And that difference, I I realised, was the thing, that's the gap, right? (laughs) Whether you're in a for-profit or a non-for-profit, It's that environment which makes a huge difference to your experience and what you can bring to the table. So there's that personal aspect of it. I've certainly experienced both. And on on that flip side, the dark side, being in a destructive environment, I never want to be in again. And I would hope that I can help that. I would like a world where people don't have to go through this and that there are options. The other part of it is learning to lead. If we use our current research and be courageous, we don't have to use those old styles of leadership, many of which are prevalent today. So I'd like to encourage leaders, wherever they are in an organisation, to look at better ways to lead than the fear-based ones we've experienced, and it will make such a difference. 
to to people who are who are working out there every day who just want a great workplace to work. Ben, I'll hand over to you for the first of our themes, mate. I'd just like to echo Eric's comments there, Gillian. Wonderful background. Couldn't think of a better person to open our series in toxic leadership. So what I wanted to start with is from the expert, how do you define toxic leadership? It's a good question. There's a bunch of definitions out there. Some are very detailed. Some are a little bit lesser. But when you when you put them all together, there's two common themes. And the first theme really is it's a style of leadership that is destructive and it creates serious long-term harm, particularly to subordinates and generally speaking to the organisation more broadly. The second theme that comes into that definition is what is called in the research a toxic triangle. The destructive leadership can only survive in an environment which enables it. And so in organisations, there's one side of the toxic triangle is what they call a conducive environment. It's a leadership style above a toxic person which says this is okay and allows it to occur. The second part of that triangle that links everything up is what is called the susceptible followers. And that's made up of people who sometimes are the colluders. They're the people who you could see as favourites who collude with that environment to get favouritism and and try to gain advantage. Or there's the conformers. And the conformers are those who are ducking for cover and trying to find a safe place to work every day and come and make a living. So those those three things combine. You've got the destructive behaviour and the environment which allows it to flurry. When I've worked through this all, Ben, underneath all of this is a very basic survival instinct around fear. We all have it. We're all wired for it. And that's the thing that underpins all parts of this. So for the toxic leader, sometimes known as the abrasive leader, whether they realise it or not, they're acting out of fear and things they've learnt. For the people who are subjected to it, they're in fear because of the behaviour that they are being subjected to, which they don't want. For the boss of the toxic leader, they're fearful because they want that technical skill, don't quite know how to deal with the interpersonal stuff, but they want their organisation to flourish. So it's not a great environment. This And the, the term psychological safety is one which describes it. There's not a lot of psychological safety for anyone in that environment. When I think about it this way, Ben, a toxic leader is putting a handbrake on the organisation and its ability to perform and the ability of staff to perform. So, Gillian, it's a great analogy using the uh, handbrake because I absolutely agree with you and have seen it in action. I just want to make sure our listeners gather that point you made about the triangle again. Can you just run me through the three points again? Sure. So the first part of the triangle is the destructive leader and their behaviour, which is behaviour which is destructive typically to subordinates and leads to poor outcomes to those subordinates and to the organisation more broadly. So that's important. That's the first part of the triangle. The second part of the triangle is the conducive environment is is the term that is used. Toxic leaders don't exist in a vacuum. They come from and are allowed to thrive in some way. And so where oversight of leaders is not great, where there's a lack of real checks and balances on leaders, where there's a lack of much information from subordinates about how they're actually feeling and a lack of methods to get feedback, that 
creates a conducive environment where the toxic behaviour is allowed to thrive. The third part of the triangle is what is called susceptible followers. And I found this was really important, understanding this from having been in toxic environments myself. So susceptible followers, it's behaviour as a result of the destructive leader. It's people trying to survive. They generally fall into two camps. There's the colluders. They mimic, they might support the behaviour. They often do that to try to gain power and favour for themselves. They often try to become favourites. Then there's the conformers. And that's the people, they might see that there's a problem, but out of their own personal fear, they're just sitting here ducking undercover, conforming and submitting, even though they don't like it. So those three things form that triangle and they can't, they can't exist without each other. But when you understand that triangle, you can understand how challenging the environment is to work in. Because it's not just that your boss is being, say it's your boss who's the destructive leader, you're seeing that behaviour, it's being allowed, right? And you're pretty annoyed at it's being allowed, but then all around you is behaviour and a series of defensive behaviours from your colleagues who are all behaving defensively as a result of this. So the environment as a whole that you are in feels very unsafe. So it's not just that you feel unsafe, is that your everyday at work feels unsafe because it is. I think that is, it's interesting being a listener to this and I'm sure hopefully, well, I expect, Eric, that our listeners might be similar as um, Gillian referred to the three points of the triangle. Here I am trying to place individuals that I worked with in toxic environments into which corner. But uh, no, great summary, Gillian, something I've never heard of before. Uh, and, you know, I think, again, thinking of those environments and where each person sits I'm sitting here having what I call my aha moment. I can't as quickly put people into those categories, but having been someone who's been through a toxic experience with a leader before and had a very bad reaction to that, when you talk about the conducive environment, that's your context, the susceptible followers, that's your lead, and then your leader up the top, and that creates that sort of perfect triangle and I can understand why one feeds necessarily off the other, which helps um, with the the scene setting here because we, we wanted to make this about, I won't, I hate the term a teachable moment. I think this is just getting information out to people that may not have a language for it. And given your background, Julian, I think there will be a language here that that people need to get acquainted with because, again, this this is a reality of, of most workplaces and for those that tell you it's not, I think they're lying through their teeth or they're naive to it or some combination of those things. The next couple of uh, themes, and we were talking about this off air, uh, are combined. So, Ben, I might take this one if that's cool with you. Absolutely. All right. So the next uh, topic area is the psychological and physical impacts of toxic leadership on employees. Gillian? Uh, you, uh, when you asked me about this, Eric and Ben, I realised as I started thinking it out, the, the two things combined, psychological and physical, all come together in this sort of environment. And in an environment which gets really toxic, and particularly if you are the person being targeted, this can feel overwhelming, right? The effects of toxic behaviour creates 
you feel both psychologically and physically unsafe. The impacts can range from minimal to substantial to catastrophic. Suicide is an outcome for some people as a result of toxic environments because they don't feel they can escape. And when I explained that triangle to you, I can see how people can get to that particular place. So I don't say any of this lightly. I've had to think about it. I've dealt with suicide before, but I understand how this gets people to that place and all points along that spectrum. So one of the reasons I want to work more in this area is I would love to see these effects to be reduced for people so they can bring their their whole self to work. For individuals who are being specifically targeted for the behaviour, and a toxic leader will often have specific targets, for specifically targeted people, it can be devastating. It can be traumatic. It can require a lengthy time to recover it. It's not a three-day recovery period. It's a lengthy period of time, both physically and mentally, because it has an all-encompassing impact on your life. It's not just your work life. It's then your home life, which is sharing in the experience of the toxic environment. Some things to look out for in yourself, if this is how you're feeling. Uh, Most definitely a reduction in self-esteem and confidence in your ability, you start questioning yourself. A reduction in your motivation to go to work, which is pretty understandable when you think of what you're going through, but it also might lead to you dropping your productivity a little bit, which as a matter of pride isn't a great place to be. I describe it as like a swirl of emotions that go through your body at any one time at work and you'll roil through these emotions and that's from feeling threatened to be betrayed and mistreated. So that's your everyday whilst you're at work, you're trying to find your, your way in your navigation whilst feeling like that. There's things like loss of sleep and a marked inability to just mentally switch off and a constant feeling of fear are things that you live with. Loss of sleep is devastating for your health your health, and an inability to switch off is devastating for your relationships as well as you. Anxiety and depression can result from this because you are pushed to question yourself so greatly. Harmful use of substances as a way to try to manage the pain is certainly something that you can fall into as a result of just trying to put words to what you're dealing with. There's that mental anguish that results in, um, in many cases in workers' compensation claims or, or sick leave and absenteeism. So that's for the individual. And then at that extreme end of depression, there are people who consider taking their own lives or have and do take their own lives as a result of this. It's why bullying in some states is a criminal offence. There's a second part of this, though, the thing that I picked up in the, the, the discussion around the toxic triangle, and that is the general environment in which people are working with a toxic leader because the impact is on them as well. And some, it, it, their culture is often profoundly negative. And it's a little bit like being back in year nine at high school on a bad day, right? It's just so it makes for quite an uncomfortable and often destructive workplace. There's some things that would characterise the environments that you're in. One is very negative gossip about others in your team. 
and it often includes false stories and spreading of false stories about others in your team. Highly damaging and very defensive behaviours between individuals and groups are common because it's people are acting out of fear. There's very few conversations that are trusted. Like you you go into conversations where you think, "I, I don't know what to trust and what I can or can't say here. And there's this general environment which feels unsafe and unsettled. So in combination, that's why I find that toxic leadership is a handbrake on performance because these are the effects that are coming out for individuals. You also need to remember out of all of this, the person who's impacted, whether specifically targeted or in the environment, they go home to their family, to their friends, all of whom who can see the pain that they are going through as well and their relationships are impacted by that person who's being impacted both physically and mentally. Just reflecting on some of what you said, I'm interested personally in the physical impacts. I only draw on my experience and I won't name the organisation or where this happened, but I actually got to the point where I went to see a GP and he said my my blood pressure was up and quite significantly up. He said, is there something happening at work? And I said, every time I leave that building, it feels like a weight goes off my shoulders. Every time I leave that elevator and actually leave physically the ground, and he said, you might want to look at a different job. Now, he didn't go into more than that or provide any other assistance, and nor did I seek it uh, more to my detriment. But yeah, it felt physically I felt physically better leaving that job every day and feeling that pressure every time I walked into that building. So it was definitely a physical effect, not so much psychological. I had never, it never from memory got to the point where I doubted myself or my skills. Uh, but I think I was in a heightened position of um, if people questioned what I did, I was quite reactive and snappy at being yep. asked about my performance, thinking, hey, you know, you, you can't question me type deal. So it, it kind of answers that question because I've never had a forum to ask that specifically does the physical impact psychological and vice versa and you've um, um, made that quite clear Ben have you got any questions there mate no not specifically other than you know I think the the impact is it's very real it's not only a mental impact it is a physical impact on one's life having been in toxic environments myself I Always remembered driving into the city and being based in Brisbane, driving across from the south side, across that Riverside Expressway bridge, and I could just feel the anxiety building in my chest. And I was subjected to some pretty horrendous toxic leaders in this particular environment. And it had a physical effect on my life. And you mentioned before, Gillian, around sleep, uh, around just general motivation, other issues in life that become, you know, a victim of those circumstances. So, you know, it's it's interesting having this conversation and it's almost like a counselling session. I'm, I'm reflecting on circumstances I've been through in the past, but just hope our listeners can consider what the uh, outcomes will be for them in terms of dealing with it. And I think we'll get to some of those questions in a second. So just to move on, Gillian, you've mentioned items throughout your conversation and then keywords have popped up for me, handbrake, work cover, the disruptive nature. Now, those sort of things ring, let's just say the cash register noise in my head. I'm hearing cha-ching. Yeah. So tell me from your perspective, if there's any research that perhaps could show or demonstrate the physical impact financially on a business that 
is uh, a result of toxic leaders. Can you can you sort of expand upon what that financial impact might be? I'll expand on it as much as I can, Ben. There's no one piece of research that pulls it all together. I've tried to pull a lot of it together. And part of the reason I realised I was struggling to get one final, you know, spreadsheet with the dollar amounts in it was the nature of destructive behaviour is that people respond in fear and so that they tend to they tend to cover themselves and protect themselves. And so a lot of that, that feeling around self-protection means there is a big reluctance for noise and information to come out from about it. When I looked at the statistics at the moment, our Safe Work Workplace Barometer Report from 2014-15 showed that there's about 9.7%, close to 10% of the working population say they experience bullying in any year. That's about 1.3 million Australians. The Fair Work Commission sees about 700 cases of bullying a year. In between that, there's a raft of people responding and they're responding in different ways. But a lot of the time, that direct feedback isn't coming to the organisation. But when I started jotting it down to see where the financial impacts were and put on my leader's hat, as well as the person being subjected to it, put on my leader's hat, I went, this is expensive. This is very destructive of the bottom line. And we can resolve this. By changing the behaviour, if you continue or allow that toxic behaviour to continue, you are allowing preventable negative behaviours to continue, which will impact your business. I'll go through a few of these. There's a few. I'm sorry there's a few, but I think it's important for leaders to think about this because it concentrates the mind to say, why would I make a change? If the performance issues haven't impacted with you, if the moral issues haven't impacted with you, the financial ones might impact you as a leader to think about alternatives. I started looking at some indirect costs and just working through those. A few of you might reflect on your organisation when I mention these, and I'm interested to hear the the thoughts of both of you. Organisational time spent on managing disciplinary matters. It becomes really high in toxic environments. People engage in defensive behaviours. Defensive behaviours result in outcomes which don't meld with policy. We spend time in discipline. If you're spending a lot of your time dealing with disciplinary matters, you've probably got a toxic environment, and you can then start to deal with that. Absenteeism and sick leave is a very obvious way of, it's a pulse check. I've been in an organisation that when I joined, had a very toxic environment and I was, the piece I was working in with, we were working hard to really being in a different culture, we reduced our sick leave at the busiest time of the year to zero. And it hadn't been zero in like a decade. And But when things started to get out of control, it, it creeps straight back up there again, right? And that, that's an expense that you can deal with. Organisational time managing workers' compensation claims. If you've got a few staff doing this for you, you've got a problem, right? That's all about health and safety. So, If you want to keep investing your time in managing that, go right ahead. But that is a preventable problem that you can deal with at an expense. Reductions in productivity, work quality and work engagement. The research that relates to 
what stress does to individuals shows that whether we like it or not, and I have to accept this in myself, our productivity is not as good when we're in these environments. So that's it. You, you've just created an environment when your staff can't perform as well, and that's a cost to your business. Reduction in staff wishing to progress to more senior leadership roles. This isn't a little thing. This is a big thing. This is the future of your organisation. I've watched this happen where people who have the capacity literally refuse to put their hands up and develop because they would rather duck. So how do you develop and maintain leaders if you create the wrong environment for them. There's the future of your business that you're not attending to. There's another big one, which is like the elephant in the room, and that's reputational damage to your business. I don't think you can calculate your reputational damage. In Australia, if you think about some of the things that are in the public eye at the moment, federal parliament and how the claims are made about the staff being treated or not treated well, that is a major, major issue of impact that causes massive reputational damage to those employ them as well as the people being impacted. In Victoria, Ambulance Victoria, it's an institution we're proud of. Their history of or allegations around toxic behaviour are long-standing. That's resulted in a very public hearing by the Victorian Equal Rights and Human uh, VROC uh, doing an investigation into their culture that is a highly public way of looking at poor culture and implications. Um, the AFL for Australians, it's a national game, though I know in Queensland you probably refute that. But in Australia, their head office is in Melbourne. A book has just been published which relates to their, their culture and discusses openly a very destructive culture, particularly for women. This, these lists go on and on. You don't want your organisation to be on this list. And this all tiles into the Me Too movement. We have a generation who want to be able to express their thoughts. We have social media available to them. And we have this generation of people are saying, I'm, I'm not okay with just accepting this anymore. So from an indirect cost perspective, this is massive in itself. I haven't even got to the direct costs of what this is. These are the indirect costs that you need to factor in, right? Some of which you can't control. If you get to the direct costs, that's an even harder picture. Turnover. If you need to replace a person, the figures are it costs somewhere between 30 to 150% of a person's annual salary to replace them. People are leaving because of your toxic environment. You've just added that cost to the bottom line. If you reduce your turnover by 5%, that's money straight back onto your bottom line that you haven't had to, to work in. Workers' compensation, it's not just managing the claims, your premiums will go up if you're not managing that environment. That's a direct cost to your bottom line. From those costs, we then haven't even factored in. If you end up in tribunals, Fair Work Commission, in court, Equal Opportunity Commissions or Human Rights Commissions on those complaints, these figures become huge. Unfair dismissal claims, you're looking at half a year's salary for a person who's making a claim successfully. Sure. If, you, if you get to a workplace investigation, if a staff member is angry enough that they want a workplace investigation, that's at least $12,000 straight away to recognise whether 
policies are being breached and whether discipline needs to occur. Adverse action claims are held in the Fair Work Commission and Federal Court. Adverse action claims have unlimited claim costs and, and expenses, unlimited, and it will come down to the Federal Court's answers as to what happens next. Employment contract litigation, there is no cap on that. those forms of litigation, depending on the person's salaries. If you're dealing with, dealing with CEOs, that can be into millions of dollars in claims, all of which you'll have to pay. And then after all of those things, all of which are costs, you get to criminal charges against staff for their behaviour, as well as discrimination actions in tribunals. So I guess my message at the end of that, that's all a very long explanation of saying you're exposed in your organisation to substantial preventable costs that impact your bottom line if you are not resolving the toxic environment that you are leading. All I can say, Gillian, is uh, I'm astounded. I knew a lot of those, but you've really raised some interesting comments. And it's interesting as businesses, we all look at risk profiles and we tend to look at professional and indemnity and, and other things around, let's say, the client or the customer risk, Australian consumer law or uh, contract law, whatever. But really, many of our risks are actually all the way around us. Yes. Uh, the people we operate with, the people we lead, the people we uh, should be serving as leaders, in my view. So great summary. Really appreciate that level of detail. Yeah. It really focused my mind, Ben, when I thought about it. You know, I sit on a board. I watch people sit on other boards. I've led organisations as well as be part of organisations. We always look at ways to be more efficient, to improve our bottom line, to enhance what we're doing with. And then I looked at these things and I went, these things are preventable. It actually doesn't cost you a lot to deal with them wouldn't we want to manage those far more effectively? That was what was jumping out at me, was this is something that we, ha we have and can, can take control of. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. This is the end of a two-part discussion with Gillian Manson. Thanks again to Ben Deverson, my co-host. The second part to the podcast will be released next week. As always, thank you for joining me and we'll catch you all on the next podcast.